This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, this is John Katsimatidis, and wow, this is some day, this is a wow day where there was so much news, we don't know where to start. But in the studio with us, we have Judge Richard Weinberg, Common Sense Democrat, we have Rudy Washington. He was uh, deputy mayor under uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani, and uh, and he, we have some interesting talks. And we have an exclusive. We're going to have Rudy Giuliani calling in from the airplane, and uh, you'll have that in a few minutes. And then another exclusive, Ambassador John Bolton, what's going on in Russia, and who killed the Wagner Group general, and, uh, you know, who knows. But first. The guy who has uh, declared war on cleaning up New York, we have Curtis Lewa. Curtis, you have declared war on cleaning up New York. Look, I believe in helping people. I believe in migrants, a thousand of them, two thousand of them. You know, we can take care. Three, but a hundred thousand, that's an invasion and enough is enough. Bruce Blakeman said, Nassau County, no effing way or whatever. And, uh, and uh, so Suffolk County says, no way. So you get a DMZ zone in Nassau, Suffolk. And now, last night, you guys did a successful thing. And tonight, you're going to have with Vito Fasella, and he's going to be on later on. Yes. Uh, Staten Island, tell us what's going on. All right. Last night, the power of WABC. First, Sid uh, led the demonstration. I assisted him. His first demonstrated in demonstration ever. It's like I baptized him in but demonstration. But no arrest. No arrest. No, we, they were, had a hundred cops. There. I went up to each one. I said, you'll know if I'm going to get arrested. It's not an arrest. So they said, thank you, Curtis. But anyway, <laughs> thousands came in from the Rockaways, the Irish Riviera, and then Brooklyn, Marine Park, Flatbush. Most of them WABC listeners, that's how they got the information. John, thanking you, because we're the only outlet that has prepared people to fight back against this invasion. And uh, Sid was magnificent in hosting it. And then, obviously, I told them that it's not just one rally. We're getting lawyers. We're going in. We're going to get a temporary stay on uh, the governor and the mayor agreeing with Joe Biden to put Illegal aliens. First, it started out 2,500. And it must be common core math because I couldn't figure that out with my kids. By last night, when we started the rally at 7, it jumped to 7,500 single able-bodied men. Wait a minute. At at Floyd Bennett Field. At Floyd Bennett Field. Wow. With nowhere to go. Just nothing to do. Just one location. Just one location. And I'm telling you, that is a recipe for, for disaster. disaster. Total right. disaster. And you got the beach right there, the boardwalk, where ladies are, I mean, barely wearing anything. These guys, most of them come from countries where you're not even permitted to look at a woman with a little bit of skin. And we don't know who they are. You know, the thing is, Curtis, when they said they were doing Floyd Bennett Field, you see, it's huge. I knew they weren't just going to put 2,000 on there. There's no way. And, uh, again, this has been worked on for months in both the release of Kathy Hochul and Eric Adams. They said, we've been working with the federal government on this for months. I had said this was going to happen. And our fellow politicos, Democrats and Republicans, savaged me, said I was lying. I was making it up. That's why tonight it's vindication for me when I go out to support all the residents in Staten Island where they have taken St. John's Villa Academy by this weekend, they're going to put 300 single, able-bodied men. Notice, what happened to the women and the children? The children. And uh, we are going to try to prevent them from putting them in there. So everybody's welcome to come out. Uh, Curtis, well, what, Curtis what, kind, what, kind of, what kind of numbers are you getting um, at the uh, demonstration? Thousands, thousands are coming and it's growing. And again, People it's, are getting mad, Rudy. 
Yeah. Rudy, I mean, people are angry in New York. Furious. And what was the number? 82% of the people? Yeah, 82% uh, uh, say it's enough a huge enough. problem. Hey, huge problem. We're, we're, we love people. We love helping people. You know, a 1,000 of them, 2,000 of them, 3,000. But 100,000 and invading New York, that's an invasion, not a migration. Thank you, and uh, take care of yourself. No arrest tonight. No arrest. All right, no yeah, arrest. yeah, we'll talk about that. Sunday, we'll Occupy, Oh, no. We're going to be talking to Vito Fasella in a little while, uh, and uh, he'll fill us in on Staten Island, too, and take care of yourself. Thank you. Thank and now, uh, calling in from uh, the airplane, or close to the airplane, we have uh, Rudy Giuliani. Breaking news, WABC. Breaking news, we have Rudy Giuliani uh, with us today, the America's mayor. Uh, he just left the courthouse. He's on his way to the airport to uh, come back to New York. Wow, Rudy, uh, tell us about your day. Wow. I don't know. I don't know. I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of interesting days in my life, Rita, John, but this, this, one, uh, this one is surreal. I just worry so much uh, that this is going to happen uh, over and over again to Americans. Uh, you think of the people that are involved in this indictment. Some of them I don't even know. It's not as if they're big, important people. Or I mean, this woman just picked that, anybody she could and indicted them for contesting an election. My goodness, I was a lawyer. Five other lawyers are indicted in this, and, and we were fighting a legal case. Uh, you know, it's unbelievable that you get indicted for something like that. You know, Rudy, what was it like? Tell us what what happened there. Can you walk us through what happened at the courthouse or the jail when you went there? Yeah, the prison officials, uh, I can't can't say anything but good things about it. They were extraordinarily uh, polite. They were professional. I mean, I've been responsible for the Federal Bureau of Prisons. I know prisons, unfortunately, really well from a different point of view. And uh, they were they were professional. Uh, the, I did get applauded by the prisoners. I don't have a feel about that. They actually got a little crazy. They started yelling and screaming, Rudy, Rudy, because uh, I had to walk a long, long way to go to the office where uh, you get fingerprinted and, 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 and photographed. They, they, I seem to have mostly supporters among the prisoners. But And then when I came out, <laughs> the press went crazy, and I made the point that it almost, I mean, I feel like I'm not in America right now. I look back on it and I say, gee, did I just go to Venezuela or something? You know, Rudy, we uh, saw, by the way, the, the images when after when you got out of court, you were swarmed by people. Uh, what did it feel like also? And just your emotions going through this, getting a mug shot. I mean, for defending somebody, yeah, everyone's saying, where does any, it end? I, I, I think I I think I suspended my emotions. I, I did. You know, it was a little I hate to say it. It was a little like, you know, after going through September 11th. There isn't too much that can phase you. And I just I just went into uh, professional mode. I mean, I, I, I did what they wanted. I, uh, they were they didn't ask anything on tour. I was very professional. They were very professional. We got it done. Uh, the, the thing that troubled me is the contemplation of what's going on here. I mean, I mean, I've been investigated for three years and cleared. I mean, they they raided my house. They raided my law office. They took my they took my iCloud account for three years and listened to everything I did. And then they wrote a letter to the grand jury said it, saying they couldn't find any crimes. Now, all of a sudden, she finds a crime that they couldn't after spending millions of dollars trying to frame me. And it's ridiculous that they, this is allowed. And then uh, this is going to continue to go on in Biden's America. He's. When, when we, people, I don't think people really understand when we say that he's, uh, that he's, uh, weaponized the justice system, what that means. What it means is we become, <laughs> we become Venezuela, we become China. You know, uh, Rudy, by the way, Rudy Giuliani, everybody's watching this and thinking the same thing too, going, wait a minute. Uh, here he was defending the president of the United States. And what I think they said was at one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars bond. Uh, what is it? What message yeah, does yeah, that yeah. send to anybody who you know let the election decide who's president, not uh, not the political justice system? And there's nothing I did in this case that I haven't done in every other case. I mean, I defended him the same way I do. I defend with great passion, and and, uh, and this particular case, I think it was uh, increased by the fact that I knew I was defending an innocent man. And all along the way, so far, we've been proven right. 
And they've been proven to be liars. I mean, we were right about Russian collusion. They were lying. We were right about the hard drive. We were right about the bribes. They were lying. I mean, how many times do we have to be proved right before these animals back off? Yeah, I mean, it this, is this an is crazy. I mean, I don't know how many times it can be proven a liar. And the press still believes what you say to them. Wow, what an amazing process. So what happens next, Rudy? What's the next on the timetable for you with the all next, of this real the quick? Next, the next, the next, for them, it would be an, an actual arraignment where you plead not guilty, which, of course, I will. But, I mean, the next thing is uh, I will, within the next week or so, file a motion for removal. I can't speak for the president. Uh, I'm not allowed to talk to him about the case. I did talk to him today. And uh, he's getting ready for tomorrow. Uh, but I'm pretty sure he'll do the same, and I think it will be removed. Yep. Well, you I keep us posted. He basically. And Ru- Rudy, listen, you really, travel uh, safe, too, please, my friend. Uh, we're all thinking of you. You well, travel you. safe back, and we look forward well, we'll to seeing back. you back here we'll in New York soon. We're on our way back. You got it, Rudy. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Wow. Unbelievable, John. It is outrageous. I'm angry after just talking with Rudy, who just called in. This is an exclusive with us here, John. Where is American justice? There doesn't they're, seem that they're prosecuting they, Giuliani and four other lawyers for being. Well, released. I want to know where justice is in Moscow. <laughs> With us today is Ambassador John Bolton, and uh, we got uh, some breaking news today. That breaking news: WABC. The Wagner Group uh, general. Uh, he seems like his plane crashed near Moscow, and uh, John Bolton, Ambassador, what the heck is going on? Well, it's uh, still still hard to see exactly what happened. And, you know, we are dealing with uh, a government that's expert at propaganda. But uh, a few things we can sort out. Russian official Russian sources are confirming that Prigozhin, the head of the Wagner group, was uh, on the plane that crashed. Uh, so uh, before they were just saying his name was on the manifest list. But uh, but now they are confirming that he's dead. Um you know, uh, I think a number of us uh, are just surprised that, uh, that it took this long for Putin to get around to putting him out of his misery. I, I guess uh, I was wrong. I thought, I thought uh, that they were working together, but I guess I'm wrong. Well, I'm not sure we don't know that they weren't working together for a while. But, um, you know, we also know that the former commander of the Air Force has been relieved of his responsibilities. He came out in support of Prigozhin's mutiny two months ago. Um, so I do think that uh, that Putin is now systematically trying to restore uh, himself to full power. And uh, I suspect there are other things that are happening we may not know about for quite some time or some that may come out. Uh, the uh, sources in the Wagner group are saying that they believe the, the uh, this little Embraer jet that uh, – Prigozhin was on was shot down by Russian anti-aircraft artillery uh, over the city of Tver, which is pretty much in a direct line between uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg. So it would make sense. Prigozhin was on a plane going back uh, from Moscow to his headquarters in in St. Petersburg. Uh, It would be pretty dramatic for for military anti-aircraft to shoot down a civilian plane Heading away from Moscow, these would be air defenses against defending Moscow against attacks from the outside. It's possible there was a bomb on the plane. Uh, I don't think we're going to get a straight story from the Russian authorities on that. You know, um, Ambassador Bolton, I'm not a big conspiracy. I'm not a, a huge conspiracy theorist, but I mean, can we even believe that that he was on the plane? I mean, it, there seems to be a lot of flipping and flopping between. You know, Putin and uh, Prigozhin over the years, you know, they seem close. They didn't seem close. The, jo- uh, the joke some Russians were telling it was that uh, they, they rushed re- rescue groups uh, uh, to the plane crash to make sure uh, they were all dead. That yeah, they, they were all dead. Right. The rescue crews uh, killed uh, the survivors to make sure they were dead. <laughs> yeah, well, it was certainly interesting that there were TV crews that caught the plane falling out of the sky and were right there on the scene. To, yeah, how convenient. To, to, to show it to show it burning on the ground. So, uh, I, look, I don't think there's any question who is ultimately behind this. This is not purely coincidental. Uh, I don't think it means that Putin is totally back in control. But I think one reason that may have explained the delay is he wanted to make sure that he could uh, uh, ferret out whoever else had been disloyal to him in the regular military and maybe get some 
people more loyal to Putin into the Wagner group itself. We'll, we'll see if there's another mutiny by uh, by Prigozhin's well, subordinates. Well, I kind of doubt it. But Ambassador, it's that, that, that was going to be my question. This is Rudy Washington. Uh, you know, this whole private army thing of 25,000 men, uh, I find baffling. Who pays them? Obviously, they were loyal to Prigozhin. Uh, could this be the opening now for maybe uh, a real attempt to come back into Moscow? You know that well, his. Go ahead. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't know for sure. But but the initial funding for the Wagner Group came from the Russian Treasury, so it was a it was a Putin uh, uh, set up to have a private military company to provide deniability for Russian military action in the Middle East and Africa. And from that, Prigozhin has turned it into a, a military-industrial complex. It basically finances itself with industrial, mineral investments, things like that. Uh, my guess is that Putin uh, probably thought Prigozhin got a little bit too big for his britches. And, uh, but it's, look, the, it, it, there's no clear explanation for how we got from A to B, except I'm convinced that this is Putin-style justice for Prigozhin, and there may be more of it coming. Well, thank you, Ambassador Bolton, and uh, keep your eyes open, and and thank you for filling in all uh, New Yorkers and all American people. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Take care. Let's take a break right now, and when we come back, we We have Newt Gingrich, and what the heck is going to happen with this debate tonight? Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. By the way, tonight, everybody, you definitely want to stay tuned to 77 WABC. Myself and Dominic Carter uh, will be playing the highlights of the debate. We're also going to be covering President Trump, uh, who is doing an interview with Tucker. So you don't have to go anywhere else. We'll have the highlights. You don't have to listen to any of the downtime. We're going to have the best of the best. Uh, and it's going to be interesting, John. The debate is going to be make or break. Uh, for so many candidates, because some of them just made it to the debate stage. And joining us now is the former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. Newt, uh, what do you think is going to happen tonight? Is there anybody who could maybe uh, knock DeSantis off? What, what kind of drama do you think we're going to see? Because for a lot of these candidates, it may be their only chance tonight. Well, I, I thought that Mark Halperin in his newsletter this morning really made a key point that I hadn't thought about, which is that Christie may decide that his mission is to go after DeSantis because he, if he, Christie really wants to get to be a finalist with Trump, he has to knock DeSantis out of the way. So his target tonight may not be Trump, it may be DeSantis. At the same time, I think there was a leaked memo by one of DeSantis's consultants that suggests that uh, DeSantis is likely to uh, go after uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, in fact, I think the term was take a sledgehammer to him. Right. <laughs> uh, so, so that could be an interesting thing. At the same time, Vivek 
uh, as a 38-year-old entrepreneur in politics for the first time, probably has the biggest upside and the biggest downside at the same time. Uh, if he does really brilliantly, he's going to emerge as a big player. If they're able to get him off his game and, and keep him off balance, they'll shrink back to being an interesting guy who, you know, once upon a time got to run for president. So a lot of people have a lot at stake tonight. Yeah, that's for sure. John? Well, <clears throat> I, I, I personally think it's it's tonight or never. Uh, I think Chris Christie has the ability uh, to to do some knockout punches. Yeah, I do too. I can't wait to see that. Uh, I think uh, I, I think Vivek. I'm not placing him high on the list. Tim Scott, I think, Tim has Scott, a good chance. I think is a good chance. I think he's a very smart guy, and I think he. Uh, uh, I would say between Tim Scott and uh, Chris Christie, uh, Ru- Rudy Washington. Rudy was uh, deputy first deputy mayor under Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Rudy, what do you say? Well, I, you know, I've been saying all along in the studio that Vivek is a very int- has a very interesting story, and he seems to be on top of a, a lot of issues. Uh, a lot of new candidates fall down on foreign policy. Yeah, but I'm not uh, sure he's for real. I'm not sure he understands the first thing about foreign policy. We had a dinner party. Right, well, we know. had a dinner party for him. Uh, the, the, the those dinner parties that me and Larry Kudlow have, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, a lot of people got up and left. Yeah, we stayed. We, we stayed. Sh- we we stayed. stayed. By the way, he's had some missteps, Newt Gingrich, too, lately, because um, Ramaswamy recently came out about the whole 9-11 thing. Yeah, and he didn't know anything. Made it, again, it made it sound like maybe it was an inside and, job and, supports, and Israel. Well, and he also said he support Taiwan up until the time you don't need Taiwan. Yep. He said a lot of Israel, naive. Israel. Uh, so he said a lot of naive and dangerous things. It, he's yes. not up to his game in, in foreign policy. Newt, what do you right. think? Newt, who's your number well, one person? Well, let me say, first of all, what, what I think is, that uh, we'll know a lot more after the debate. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, he's had time to think about that, to prepare for it. He's very smart. I think Nikki Haley is totally prepared. She's been a successful reform governor. She was a very aggressive United Nations ambassador representing the United States in a tough environment. Uh, she clearly has started, staked out a big position on uh, China. And uh, and I suspect she's a smart lady. She's a, she is a smart and, and, lady, and she'll almost certainly go after Vivek on foreign policy. Yeah, yeah. and also and with this security. new news today, with uh, with what happened with Prigozhin, yeah. uh, the Wagner leader in Russia, no. that opens the door to a Biden leadership or lack uh, thereof. I, I would tell you that she is much smarter than Vivek. Yeah, and and, and, and knows much her stuff. You think so, John? Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, oh yeah, foreign policy. I know she well. is. Yeah. Well, we'll know more in a few hours. That's that's why Calista and I are going to yeah. watch the debate. Absolutely. You know what? I'm also Newt, uh, going after Biden too. Uh, Newt Gingrich. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, watching. they're going to they're going to go after him and and some of his comments in Maui. Newt. By the way, nobody's having parties. I'm watching the debate with my daughter and my son and my wife. You and, have to listen to and, it on uh, 77 and, and, WABC, and, and I'll listen to it on Rita and Dominic Carter. Awesome. No, yeah, and I'm, but, I'm going to post on YouTube during the debate various comments as I see them. But, you know, Tim Scott uh, right now owns the positive nice guy zone. And if he can come through the debate tonight as a positive unifying person uh, and not get particularly banged up by anybody, he might have a good night. Yeah. Uh, yeah people might look at him a second time. Well, well sound, uh, sound like they'll be throwing haymakers at Vivek. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and at DeSantis, because he's in the key position. He's yeah. in the number one position on the stage. Well, you he, can see he's it. The guy with, he is the guy with the most at stake because, you know, in the end, I don't care if you have $100 million in your super PAC, if you can't play, and uh, as the former head of the captain of the Yale baseball team, uh, DeSantis ought to understand this. You're right, yeah. I and like he, DeSantis, he, but he, I, I like him to stay in Florida. I think he's doing a good yeah. job in Florida and – yeah, Newt, you got to come back tomorrow. New, you come back tomorrow and give us your take. We'd love to get your perspective. We'll, 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 we'll try to schedule it, okay? Thank awesome. you so much, Newt. And, uh, Lau, let's go to, uh, Vito Fusella, borough president of, uh, Staten Island. And, uh, Vito, I understand you guys are mad as hell down there. Yeah, uh, good evening, John. Good to be with you as always. And Rita and everybody in the studio. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, the, the migrant, situation, the asylum seeker situation continues and it continues to escalate in a very negative way. Uh, we had some, um, we had something today to, to try to prevent uh, Fort Wadsworth on Staten Island from being considered as a potential migrant shelter. 
And this evening uh, in the Aracar section of Staten Island, there will be, I think, a pretty significant uh, rally of people trying to oppose the use of a school that was once called St. John's Villa. Now it's owned by the Department of Education, the city of New York, and they want to convert that building into a migrant shelter. And that school is located literally across the street from another venerable educational institution, St. Joseph Hill Academy, which is a grammar school as well as an all-girls Catholic high school, and a block away from another elementary school, PS39, not to mention like in the heart of a beautiful residential tree-lined community, and they want to put in at least 300 and upwards of 750 people in the in the building and it's just crazy and it's nuts we said it for almost a year it's unsustainable and we're seeing it play out in real time you you know Vito, i just hope tonight that they're able to keep this issue front and center uh as it relates to president biden as opposed to tearing each other up um you know in the debates well you're right rudy um and we, we said last year is when you open the border and say come on in and then add, add insult to injury, uh, injury that uh, that you can we'll put you up in a hotel and we'll feed you for free. We'll give you cell phones. We'll give you debit cards. We'll put you in school. We'll give you taxpayer funded health care. Uh, that's what this is. What's going to happen? And and you're right. The open border has led to this. But it's the equivalent of sitting in a home and your roof has a hole in it. It begins to rain and you get wet. And the solution is not just to change your umbrella as you're sitting in the living room. It's to fix the roof. And close the roof so the water doesn't keep pouring in. That's what's happening at the southern border. And unfortunately, the people of Staten Island have nothing to do with this situation, did not cause the problem, and now has to pay for the problem. And it's being done across Staten Island. And it's intolerable, unconscionable, and it must stop. And everybody, we're talking to Staten Island Borough President Vito Fisella. You know, Vito, you're right. And I want to hear not just uh, Republicans. I want to hear Republicans, Democrats, everybody saying close the border to the president. And I was astounded what you just said. By the way, I had on my show uh, at 10 o'clock, I had Scott Lebedo, who I know is going to be with you there tonight. And it's amazing, as you were just saying, there are grammar schools there are K through, there's a K through 12 school. He said, I think is 20 feet away from where they want to put these single adult males, uh, in a shelter there at that old school, the, the St. John Villa school. To me, how it, it is so unconscionable. And I'm wondering what took so long and are there, is there any pressure from even Democrats saying, Mr. President, what are you going to do to fix this? He seems incognito. And, and so coincidentally, Rita, that elementary school that you spoke of across from St. Joseph Hill Academy is PS39, and that's my alma mater. That's where I went to grammar wow. school. Uh, I used to walk through that neighborhood on my way to school. There were no car rides or bus rides. We walked uh, back in the day, as they say. Uh, and the outrage is palpable. Democrats are jumping on board with us right now in Staten Island. There's almost a bipartisan support in opposition uh, to this location. And let's not even, there's two other factors that they're repeating over and over, the cost. Right now, if one wants to seek an interview for an asylum uh, position, is a nine-year wait. That means that we're potentially putting these folks up for nine years at a cost of $150,000, $200,000. That's almost a million dollars per person. The numbers could be off slightly, but not too much. And and then secondly, there's another facility about two or three miles away where the guys are out in the middle of the day, hanging out, smoking pot, urinating against the fence, against the building. We're destroying our city, Vito. We are destroying our city. That's exactly what's happening, and it's happening neighborhood by neighborhood. And that's why we're going out in front of St. John Villa tonight with a bunch of people, hopefully a big crowd, come on out and let's let our voices be heard that we, we don't want to lose our city and we certainly don't want to see Staten Island sink. Wow. Well, Keep us posted. You. Keep up the good fight, Vito. Keep up the good fight. We're sending the troops. We're sending uh, Curtis Lewa and his troops down. God bless. All right. God Thank bless. you so much, everybody. Thank you. Have a good night. Good. Cool. Let's take a break and we're going to come back with Charlie Gasparino and uh, some interesting news. Don't hang up. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Matidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. 
Wow, what a show we've been having uh, today. And uh, there's news in New York City with the migrants. There's news in, in Russia with uh, uh, they're missing a couple of generals. <laughs> <laughs> and now Charlie Gasparino, one of the smartest guys I know. And uh, he, you had a, a, a great take on things this morning. Where do you want to start with ESG? Well, I mean, ESG is interesting because it's, you know, it's captivate. It is. Listen, there's going to be a Republican debate tonight. We're going to hear stuff on ESG, no doubt, uh, because Republicans believe it has led to inflation. It is essentially causing the wokeification of corporate America. Um, at the center of that debate is a company called BlackRock run by a guy named Larry Fink, who I know very well. I actually happen to like Larry a lot. Um, he's a lot less progressive as he's been um, portrayed. And one of the sort of uh, reasons you know that is what he did today. And what they did is BlackRock released these statistics, which show that they are actually voting against the vast majority of ESG uh, proposals that are being put forth uh, to, to company boards to vote on. What happens is there's something called the proxy process, where if you're a big investor, that's what BlackRock does and invest, you get to vote on corporate proposals. Uh, they are voting less and less and less for ESG proposals. I think they've only. Uh, they, Charlie, they, Charlie yeah. are you trying to say this is really Washington, that he's come to see the error of his ways? Um, or he thinks it's gotten out of hand. Okay. Uh, you could say one or the other. Fair enough. Um, but that's where we are right now. Yeah, because he's um, been one of the biggest proponents of this stuff. And, you know, and he controls trillions of dollars. So everybody got to come to him for money. I mean, so. Well, They've been a major player in this. It's it's a little bit more complicated than that in this sense. BlackRock has, like, most of its money, I would say. So they they manage, what, $9 trillion, right? Uh, Most of its money, say $5 trillion, is passively managed. They just follow an index. There are specific funds if you want to buy ESG-related stuff, which you can buy. Um, And, for example, there there are, like, um, ETFs that will follow, you know, windmill, uh, publicly traded windmill companies. I'm making that up, but that's, you kind of get what I'm saying. I got you. Then there's a bunch of money that they manage. I want to say about a trillion of, you know, directly in the renewable space where you can invest in that. So that's kind of where they go. Where he got into trouble, I think, is in rhetoric. Um, he was so enthusiastic about ESG, and it, 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 the, he got a ton of assets from, you know, pension funds, particularly in blue states who wanted to go there, like New York State Pension Fund or um, the New York City Pension Fund run by this lunatic, Brad Lander. You know, he apparently thinks everything should be ESG. He thinks BlackRock doesn't go far enough. He's had arguments with Larry Fink about this. Um, so he got a ton of money from these pension funds. But when it really came down to it, I think what, what he saw was, I mean, a couple of things happened. Um, he saw that it was the whole movement was getting way out of hand. Uh, these, these proxy proposals that were being put up on ESG went further and further and further. Essentially, if you if you uh, approve all these proxy ESG proposals, we wouldn't be uh, we wouldn't be drilling for oil anymore. I mean, that's kind of where we're going with this thing. If so you have that, weak CEOs, uh, Charlie. America would be in trouble, but you know, you, a lot of them have saw what what happened to uh, uh, Anheuser you know Anheuser Busch and Target and Disney and and uh, nobody wants to suffer that kind of a hit. Well, and and that and that you know, and there has been a black a backlash. So um, you know, put all that together, and I think you know, Fink came out and did something I think pretty remarkable today, and said. We think most of these proposals suck, and you know they're redundant, and they're they're forcing corporations to do stupid things. And we know that there are a bunch of liberal groups that are pushing them. They're called NGOs, um, non-governmental organizations that push these things. That that they they buy like a a little bit of stock, and then they become shareholders so they can show up to the meetings and push these uh, ESG mandates at companies as a shareholder and get them up to vote and proselytize and force big asset managers to vote with them. It's, it's really a, a hideous process. I'm actually writing a whole book about this in part. It's called uh, Go Woke, Go Broke. So um, it should be out early next year. But this is how corporate America became moved to the left. The ESG was one of the reasons, clearly. Um, and I think what Larry Fink and what BlackRock realized is that 
you know, once, you know, they created a monster, so to speak. And now they're, and now I, I think what they did today may have put the stake through the heart of ESG. It basically said this has gone too far. All right, that's encouraging. Now, then the, the other big thing besides ESG is the biggest fraud perpetrated on the American people, these electric cars. I, I, me, personally, I'm in favor of what Toyota chairman has said. Let's have electric cars. Let's have uh, hybrid cars. Let's have gas cars. Let's have diesel cars. Let the American people decide. What's- yeah, I mean, the, the electric car debate is really fascinating because it's it's so stupid when you when you really get to know what goes on with an electric car. So in order to build an electric car, you got to build a battery, right? In order to get that battery, you got to literally strip mine in the most offensively environmental ways, all these, all this land in Africa or wherever, Asia, where they do it. They do it, they, and they also do it with slave labor, by the way, just so you know. It ought, so then, you, so that, that is very environmentally impactful in a negative way. It, it increases the carbon footprint, so to speak. Then you've got to create electricity. Now, how do you create electricity? If you don't have nuclear power, you either got to burn coal, or you got to, you know, do fossil fuels or, you know, windmills. I don't know. Windmills are incredibly inefficient. But you really do have to increase the carbon footprint in of America by embracing electric cars. You see what I'm saying? You know, Electricity doesn't grow on trees. Right. Now infrastructure can't you support know. it. You can't support it right now. Yeah. So now unless they really want to go nuclear, you know, if you want to go nuclear power, I'm all for these electric vehicles. Although I think they have to clean up. How that, that's going to take listed. 20 years. And not only that, you're making the Chinese rich. In, in what way? They control They control most of the natural minerals that you need that you were just talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. In terms the next of the 20 United years, States, you've, enriched the, you've enriched our enemies. That's the yeah. point. Yeah. Yes, that is so true. You, When it comes to that, when it comes to the, the making of an electric battery, you are enriching China. There is no doubt about that. They control a lot of the cobalt and the lithium and all those mines and all over the world. It's it's pretty sick. So remember that when you buy uh, when you when you buy a, an environmentally friend, friendly environmentally friendly electric car, or when you use your environmentally friendly iPhone, right? The I'm sure Apple passes all the ESG metrics with flying covers colors, but all the stuff that goes into that iPhone. Is very is very impactful on the carbon footprint. You know the lithium, the plastic. How do you create plastic? You do it through what? You do petroleum, don't you? Yes, yes. I mean, that, again, doesn't grow on trees. So think about this when you. And I think I think part of what what Fink is doing with this ESG thing is saying, okay, you know, we need a we need a great reset with the ESG. We need to like take a step back. Know where we're going. We're going to get wicked inflation if we don't drill. I mean, he's actually said that in some of his reports. Um, you know, listen, we're all for a sustainable future. You know, I'd love to figure out clean ways to to produce stuff, but you you got to transition. You can't do it overnight because you do have a lot of poor people and working well, class people in this the, country. The Ford CEO has changed his mind, and they're going mostly hybrid because they lost a ton of money on EVs, electric vehicles, and he's he's got his lessons. And General Motors, I'm shorting the stock. That's my personal opinion. And don't forget. And, you know, I don't understand. Do people buy EVs? I mean, I mean, do, do average people buy them? No. I mean, are they affordable? But Ch- Charlie, it's Richard Weinberg. And yesterday's editorial in the Wall Street Journal pointed out that the EV phenomenon in China is crashing their economy. They have tens of thousands of cars that they can't move. Nobody yeah, wants them. And what the That's Biden administration is doing by pushing this agenda is setting us up for a great economic failure with these EVs. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot riding on this next election. I'm shorting. I am shorting General Motors stock. Charlie Gasparino, <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk again real soon. You got it, John. Talk to you soon. And joining us now as we're talking about the other big story of the day, indeed, is Russia. And we have heard, of course, of this report. There's reports that the head of the mercenary group, uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin of the Wagner Group, was shot 
and uh, shot down in a plane. Uh, survivors shot too, probably, according to the way the Russians work. Uh, and joining us now is Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer. He is head of the London Center for Policy Research, also a former intel officer. Uh, what is your take on all of this? Boy, is there a lot of intrigue. And, and everybody, by the way, we have Kimberly Strassel also coming up, so stay with us. She's got the latest on Hunter Biden. She's coming up uh, after the break. Um, but uh, your thoughts, Tony? So, look, it's interesting that the aircraft was shot down. I mean, that is that is notable in that it wasn't an accident. It wasn't uh, a mechanical failure. And I was talking to a brigadier general about this just a few minutes ago. This The timing of this was meant to send a signal. Now, at the moment this happened, Putin was actually in Kursk at the Kursk War Memorial. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, – you've always got to look, Rita, and I think everybody who studied the Russians any day – uh, any given amount of time, understands that they, they do things in riddles. Uh, so, you know, I said on the program, what, back when we first talked about this two months ago, I thought Prigozhin's time was limited. I thought that he, he would be a casualty of, of the attempted coup. Uh, and I think, I do believe that he was assassinated. The question becomes, was this done with Putin's uh, goodwill and uh, blessing, or did someone else do it? Now, Putin booked out of, of Kursk right when it happened. He's now been taken off to a remote location, uh, so we don't know what that means. We don't know if that means that Putin wants to be secure because he thinks there's going to be backlash because he did approve it, or the FSB just did it and didn't tell him. He's worried about that as well. So uh, the intrigue is high, the answers are low, but Prigozhin is dead. Yeah, no, do you believe it? I, I hate to say it. I don't I believe, do believe anything, it. Tony. No, I'm I just, believe it. you know, I mean, he's got his doubles. He was staying away from the high windows, Tony. You know, I mean, uh, he had that. Place oh, too. Yeah, if I were him, I would have gotten all the cash I could muster, a dozen prostitutes and some personal security folks and gone up to, to Bora Bora and waited till they came after me. But that's just me. Tony, <laughs> I would have went to New Zealand. <laughs> I would, I'd have gone somewhere and not tell anybody where I was. Tony, what is, what does this mean? For the Ukraine war? Um, well, it means that there's going to be more instability. One of the things that's going to happen right now is we're going to see uh, uh, some things happen. As a matter of fact, unreported to any great degree, there's been a number of firefights in Kiev, and Kiev, or I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it now, Judge, but Kiev, whatever, how you, there's some things going on right now in the capital of Ukraine. We don't quite know how to make out what's going on. But remember, uh, the government itself is unstable. Uh, uh, Zelensky has fired a number of folks without explanation, some with explanation, regarding corruption. So there's a good chance that some things are going on that we don't fully understand. But I think it just this increases instability in the war for as far as I'm concerned. You know, Tony, what about also, and everybody, we're talking to Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, head of the London Center, uh, also Project Sentinel, a great former intel officer. Tony, what about also Belarus? Because Belarus, the president, Lukashenko there, has been yeah. close to the Wagner group. He's also close to Putin. Uh, right. They have apparently nukes. They moved them into uh, Belarus. This is scary stuff. Well, I think that's one of the reasons Prigozhin actually went to Belarus because of that relationship to kind of keep Prigozhin available, if you will. And then the other thing that happened was Wagner was using uh, Belarus as a training area. They're still using uh, Wagner, even without Prigozhin, as a tool of foreign policy. It is what it is. And then the nukes, yes, I am. I do believe the nuclear weapons were moved there to try to intimidate Poland and NATO. So Belarus is a willing uh, kind of last participant in the Warsaw Pact, if you will, and they're a, a fully uh, a fully a subsidiary of Putin and Putin's policy. So I think that's the, they feel comfortable doing that. Tony, and I think their actions re- reflect that. Tony, last thing because then we have to yeah. take a a break. Uh, Africa, we've been talking yeah. about it for two weeks. We thought what? that that uh, that uh, he was running uh, Putin's SS force in Washington, and they seven countries have been taken over, and the Russian flags has gone up. And the Wagner group, group was given credit for it. Right. As I mentioned, uh, 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 John, in, indeed, Wagner is a tool of Russian foreign policy. They are a combination of the French Foreign Legion, uh, Blackwater, our Blackwater, and U.S. military special operations forces. They do all that stuff. And they do, do it very effectively. And, and John, at that point, we're, we're not there. Uh, the Biden administration has given up any access or interest we had in working with those countries. So in the absence of a, va- a vacuum, a nature of pours a vacuum, and there's a vacuum. So it's easy for them to go in and, and take that take their place. And plus, you were just talking about green energy. Look, let me tell you, 
uh, the, the sources for the green energy programs that the world is demanding to include both the EU and America, the, those lithium reserves, those cobalt reserves, those rare earths are in a lot of those African nations. So, again, Russia and China are going to own the market on all of that, uh, all that supply chain for the, the, the green energy uh, nonsense that everybody's pushing. Right? I am telling you, you know, somebody told me, a friend of mine told me the other day, make sure you read Maggie Haberman's book, uh, A Confidence Man, and she was insinuating uh, Donald Trump uh, being a confidence man. I'd rather have a confidence man on our side of the United States of America than have somebody that... Mm-hmm doesn't know what the heck is going on. That we have no confidence right. in. And no confidence. <laughs> no, look, if you're going to, to kind of quote uh, Reagan, if you're going to be an SOB, you you, really, you want to be our SOB. SOB. Yeah. Because everything he has done, he has screwed up. It's cost the American people money. It's cost the American people lives. Thank you so much, Tony Schaefer. And, okay. uh, Thanks and a lot. We'll catch up again I'll real soon. And by, by the way, uh, Frank Morano messaged me and said, uh, Rita, uh, this is also the second time Prigozhin has been declared dead in a plane crash. He said the first time 2019 in Congo. So uh, you're right. You never know with the Russians. He, All right. Let's go to our next guest. Yep. We've got Kimberly Strassel now who is joining us. And Kimberly, of course, uh, the great uh, writer there and columnist for The Wall Street Journal on the editorial board. Also has an awesome new book. What is the name of your new book, Kim? I had you on. I love it. About Carter. Oh, thank you. The Biden Malaise. Uh, uh, all about how we bounce back from his repeat of Jimmy Carter's years. Yeah. And by the way, how fitting, because John was just talking about foreign policy and what a mess things are right now on the foreign policy front, making Jimmy Carter look like, uh, like Bono. Um, but, <laughs> but to the point of your book, uh, before we get into the Hunter Biden stuff, I got to get your take on all the Maui stuff that with Biden. Everybody is talking about this. He goes over to Maui and he says, you know what? Um, you know, you, I understand your pain, everybody. This is the worst wildfire in modern history. These people have lost everything. And he says, um, I had a little fire in my kitchen and my poor Corvette might have been in jeopardy. I mean, he just seems so out of touch. You know why this was offensive? It was actually offensive on two levels. First of all, that story he keeps telling is largely a whopper. You know, he, he told a version of it. It was fact-checked to death. Um, he once suggested his whole house nearly burnt down. Uh, this is, you know, in keeping with Biden's exaggeration of things. This was apparently a small kitchen fire that was put out within a matter of a few minutes. Um, but that's what gets so offensive about the second part that you just mentioned, is he stands and makes that comparison. You know what I like to imagine? Imagine how you would have been roasted. If it had been George W. Bush going down to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina and saying, you know, I once had a flood in my basement. I know how you feel. You know, I mean, this is a kind of equivalent. um, And, you know, we're talking about it, although a lot of the mainstream media is still praising that trip. Yeah, it is. Judge Weinberg, you've got a great question for Kimberly Strassel. Kimberly, it's good to have you back on the show. I read your column last week. And I thought it was absolutely terrific. And what you raise the issue is what are the Democratic Party thinking about pushing Biden for this nomination and not getting him off off the stage and they're running a terrible risk? Could you explain that, please? Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's all this focus on the Democratic side on Donald Trump. They're absolutely convinced that if he's the nominee, he can't win the general election, that they could run, you know, Woody Woodpecker against them and he'd still win. And my point of this column is that that is an incredibly risky bet in a 50-50 country. By any measure, if you step back and you just look at Joe Biden in isolation, he is the weakest candidate that they have put forward in generations, uh, even prior to Jimmy Carter. It's not just the age issue. It's the incompetence. It's the mess he's made of the economy um, and uh, the, the problems people are feeling foreign policy. Um, this guy has a huge number of liabilities, and they just seem to have put that out of their mind. And they seem to have totally disregarded the exposure that the Hunter Biden fiasco is going to cause them if this really breaks open. What do you say about that? Yeah, absolutely. And every day we are getting more and more damning information. You know, over the weekend, uh, it looks as though Hunter Biden's defense team leaked documents to both political 
Politico and the New York Times. And the major revelations out of these are just quite striking. One, the Hunter Biden's defense team threatened the Department of Justice with a constitutional crisis, claiming that they would put Joe Biden on the stand for the defense of Hunter Biden um, and provoke an issue of the president actually uh, facing off against his own Department of Justice. So, by the way, not only does Hunter Biden cash in on his dad's name around the world, he then cashes in on his dad's name to try to escape any charges against them. But we also found out that the Department of Justice bit that they actually initially proposed a deal in which he'd have walked and been charged with nothing at all. But, right, but and for, it wasn't until the weeks. whistleblowers. That's whistleblowers. Right, weeks of the whistleblowers, of course. You know, I want to ask you, Kimberly Strauss, also, where is it headed? Because we just heard a couple hints a few hours ago from Kevin McCarthy, sort of signaling that we may be closer uh, on the GOP side to an impeachment inquiry when they come back in September. I mean, we're seeing all this stuff, this parade of all these different, uh, the 19 uh, co-defendants as, you know, in Georgia from Fulton County Fannie. And yet, uh, what's going on with the Biden investigation? Where do you see it headed? Yeah, I see two important pieces of news this week. The first is that Chairman Jim Jordan of Judiciary and Jason Smith of Ways and Means sent out four new subpoenas. Those subpoenas went to the IRS and FBI officials who were supposedly also present in the room when David Weiss is said to have said, according to the whistleblowers, that he had been denied a special counsel authority and then a Biden appointee had refused to help him bring charges against Hunter in the Washington, D.C. district. So they're going to be interviewed under subpoena, uh, uh, presumably, and we should get a lot more interesting transcripts out of that. Uh, that would be the first one. The second is John Solomon of Just the News, who I have a lot of admiration for. He's had some good stories over the past two days, starting to focus in on just how true this narrative is, this claim uh, you know, that Joe Biden went over the Ukraine with the intention of, of firing this prosecutor and that the prosecutor hadn't been doing anything. It seems that that's maybe a story that got changed in retrospect and that the situation was a little bit different at the time. Yeah, we had John on. In fact, uh, he was breaking the news with us here on the show, Good. Kimberly. And he was saying essentially that there's evidence that the policy was to keep the prosecutor. And according to his work, that the, he suddenly unilaterally decided that could be the quid pro quo uh, that everybody's talking about. Yeah, I think there's a lot uh, to go dig in there, because remember, and you guys know this, uh, the narrative was conveniently changed back during the first Trump impeachment to suit those who were doing the impeachment and their Ukraine story that they wanted to present. I think a lot of the truth got lost or deep sixed during that whole event. Yeah, I think so, too. Kimberly Strasso, we love you. Thank you for joining us. I know how busy you Thank are. You. And you have an awesome book, The Biden Malaise. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you, Kimberly. And what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. God bless America. And good luck to uh, uh, Curtis and uh, Vito in Staten Island today. And, and tune into the debate tonight, by the way, Dominic and myself. And also we'll have uh, Trump also. You can't uh, wait. To I'll be listening. Thank you. Nine o'clock, everybody.